Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Why would the Catholic Church have a whole basilica dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Isn't that a distraction from our relationship with Jesus? Shouldn't we be building churches in honor of Christ, not of Mary? Well, did you know that the Catholic Church has a feast day coming up here on August 5th? A whole feast day dedicated to the celebration of St. Mary Major's Basilica in Rome. It's the principal church in Rome and really the whole world dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. Virgin Mary, and I want to take you there right to the doorsteps of this basilica for a special edition of All Things Catholic. Welcome to this special edition of All Things Catholic. We are here in the great city of Rome, standing outside the major basilica of St. Mary Majors. And we're on pilgrimage here. We've had an awesome day today, haven't we? Yeah. We got up really early. You followed the strategy perfectly well to make it to the front row of St. Peter's Square. Yeah. <laughs> For the papal audience, 18 years in a row we've made it to the front row. So I'm glad to know you're not the first group to fail. <laughs> So, uh, but it was awesome to see Pope Francis pass by us. And here we are now on the other side of Rome. We're on the Escaline Hill here, and we're at the principal church dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Inside this church, when you walk inside this church, you're going to see uh, a beautiful mosaic of Mary behind the main altar. You'll see many scenes depicted in mosaics, in statues, and in, uh, in paintings. So lots of images of Mary, Mary's life, Mary's Mary crowned as queen of heaven and earth, Mary at the Annunciation, Mary giving birth to Jesus, lots of stuff about Mary here. But some people may wonder, why would you build a whole basilica dedicated to Mary? I mean, shouldn't we be just focused on Jesus? Why do Catholics give so much attention to Mary, and why would they have a, a whole basilica dedicated to her and have all these images telling us about her life? Shouldn't we be more focused on Christ? And I think that's a very fair question for our Protestant brothers and sisters to ask. What I want us to see is on the inside here, we're going to actually see that this church, while it is called St. Mary Majors, in other words, there are dozens and dozens of churches here in the city of Rome that have Mary in the name, like St. Mary of the Mountains, you know, St. Mary of, the, of Our Lady of Victory. Lots of beautiful churches dedicated to Mary in the city of Rome. This is the principal church dedicated to Mary. But what we're going to see here is that while it, there's a focus on Mary, everything Catholics believe about Mary is meant to help us actually love and understand Jesus more. That Everything we believe about Mary, all the devotions we have about Mary are in the end all about Jesus. So if we want to love Jesus more, we want to grow in friendship with Christ, we want to praise him more, we want to understand him more, you need to walk inside this church and you need to appreciate the beauty of what this church is going to tell us about the Blessed Virgin Mary and how she points us to Jesus. So that's what we're going to see. So just keep that in the back of your mind. All the doctrines that we have about Mary, Immaculate Conception, Mary is the Mother of God, 
is all about Jesus in the end. It's meant to help us love and understand her more. And the same is true with what we're going to see with the architecture and the, the, the beautiful art that's in here. It's going to point us to Christ. But first, let me just tell you a little bit about this church itself, a little bit of background. So I want to take you back to the year 352 AD. 352 AD here in Rome, there was a man named John the Patrician. John and his wife were not able to have children. And as he's getting older, he's wondering, well, who do I bequeath all of my my wealth to? Who is he going to give his inheritance to? And he has a dream in the middle of the night, uh, and Mary appears to him in this dream and, and asks him to use his money to build a church in her honor. And so... He wakes up the next morning, and, 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 the, and Mary said, by the way, to do this at the place where it's going to snow the next morning. So Mary asked him to dedicate a church in the place where it will snow the next morning. Now, you've been here in Rome a little bit. It's pretty warm today, isn't it? And Rome doesn't get snow, except maybe once every 10 years. But you need to know that this dream took place in August, August 5th. Now, if you come here in August, there's not many people here because all the Romans leave. You get out of Rome because it's so hot here. You want to go to the north. And they leave Rome. So the idea of snow coming in Rome itself is pretty spectacular. But snow coming in August, impossible. But as God said through the angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, nothing is impossible with God. So that next morning, after he wakes up from this dream, John the Patrician goes to, to, to meet with the Pope and tells the Pope about this dream, and the Pope is shocked about this, and as they're talking about it, people come rushing into this meeting and say, There's, it's snowing on the Escaline Hill! So a confirmation of what Mary had told John the Patrician. So the Pope comes out here to the Escaline Hill, sees the snow, and then he traces with his staff the... The, the, the boundaries of where this church is going to be built. Uh, so this, built, this church goes all the way back to that time of 352 and that dream uh, that John the Patrician had, that miraculous event, the miraculous snow that took place. Some of you may know that you may, ha you may have a church back in your diocese. We do in Denver. We have a church up in Estes Park called Our Lady of the snow. Now, you might think, oh, that's because there's a lot of snow in Estes Park in the mountains of the Rockies. Well, that's true, but it actually goes all the way back to 352 in this church. This is the original church of the snow. <laughs> that's where the, the tradition comes from. Uh, now, inside this church, what you're going to see is just amazing. So first of all, for those of us pilgrims from America, and all of us are from the United States and Canada, you can appreciate one of the things you're going to see. When you walk inside, you're going to look up, and you're going to see all this gold on the ceiling. That gold was brought back by Christopher Columbus. It's some of the first gold that was brought here from the New World. Uh, and it was given by the great Catholic King and Queen Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain. So it was given as a gift to decorate this beautiful church uh, for Our Lady. So uh, that's what you'll see in the wood ceiling was decorated with gold from the New World, some of the first gold brought back. That's interesting. But here's the biggest thing I want you to see. And I, I've talked to you a lot about how on this pilgrimage I want to teach you how to read a church. So one thing you're going to see when we walk inside is you're going to see that there is there, there are these columns on the left and on the right. Originally, in the original basilica, there were 42 columns. 
Now, why were there 42 columns? I'm going to have that question in the back of your mind. That number 42 is important. For those of you that have studied the Bible a little more in depth, you may have come across the number 42 and why that's so significant. So I want you to keep that in mind. But, I want to, but as you can see, these columns on the left, columns on the right, up above the columns, you are going to see 36 mosaics, half on the left, half on the right. The ones on the left tell the story of salvation history in the book of Genesis from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. You're going to see all of these scenes from the life of the patriarchs at the founding of the nation of Israel. On the right-hand side, the story continues, the story of salvation history from the Exodus, from Moses to Joshua, to the judges, to the kings, and all the way up to the exile. So what you're going to see is the story of salvation history up above, above the 42 pillars, and then up above that, you'll see, you'll see scenes from the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 22 frescoes up above in between the windows. So you have the life of Mary way up on the top, you have the story of salvation history in the middle in the mosaics, and then you've got these 42 columns. Now let's come back to this. Why are there 42 columns here? Any guesses? How does the whole New Testament begin? What's the very first book of the New Testament canon? The Gospel of Matthew. How does Matthew's gospel begin? Does he begin with this amazing story of, you know, uh, the angel appearing to Zechariah, like in Luke's gospel? Does he begin with this beautiful poetic beginning, in the beginning was the word like John? Does he begin with John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness like Mark's gospel? How does Matthew begin? He begins with a genealogy. How boring. Right? Wouldn't you rather have those other dramatic stories? Why do you want to read a long list of names? But for the ancient Jews, every name told a story. Every name told a story. They brought back the heroes of their history and the hopes they had for God to finish the story, maybe in their own lifetime, by sending the Savior, sending the Messiah. Well, if you look at that genealogy, guess how many generations there are from Abraham through David all the way down to Jesus? 42 generations. 42 generations. Why are there 42 generations listed there? Well, in the book of Exodus, or the book of Numbers chapter 33, the whole Exodus story took place in 42 generations. It was 42, I'm sorry, there were 42 stops on the way from Egypt to the promised land. 42 times the Israelites stopped to set up camp on the way to their destination of the promised land. And then Matthew's gospel picks up on that tradition and highlights out of the many generations he could have chosen, he focused on these 42 generations from Abraham down to Jesus to highlight that point of where this is the, the, the spiritual pilgrimage on the way to the true promised land of heaven and the climax of the story is the coming of Jesus. Jesus comes at the end of the story, the end of the 42 generations to bring all of salvation history to its climax. So here's what I want you to experience is we're about to go inside. When we walk down this central nave, you got the story of Mary up above. You got the story of salvation history from Abraham all the way around to the exile. The story of the 42 pillars that we're going to walk through. The 42 generations from Abraham down to Christ. When we walk down that central nave, it's as if we are walking through salvation history. It's like we're walking in the Bible. We're walking 
and when we walk into this church, you're walking in. It's like, like the doors open up and it's like you're opening up your Bible and you're stepping inside now. You are stepping inside as you see the story of salvation history come to the climax. And as you walk down that central nave and you look up and you see the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the way to Christ, you walk down the aisle, you remember those 42 columns, you come to the very middle of this church. This church that's dedicated to Mary, but everything about Mary is meant to help us understand Jesus. What do you find in the central crypt down below under the main altar? You're going to find a relic from Bethlehem. A relic from Bethlehem. A relic that goes all the way back to the birth of Jesus. Do you know what that is? Some of you have already been inside. It's some of the wood from the manger in Bethlehem. And this is the, the very center of what this church is all about to remind us that everything that Our Lady is all about is about Jesus. So why do you have the central relic here? It's all about, it's the, it's the crib from Bethlehem. It's to remind us of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, God taking on human and human flesh, becoming one of us in Jesus Christ. And to, to, to emphasize the realism of this, because that's just so shocking, the idea of that God isn't just taking on the appearance of a man. That Greek, Greek myth had that idea, and other, other religions had that idea. But the fact that God actually became one of us, really? He really became one of us, took on humanity? That was just so shocking. We need to be reminded of that. That's why the early Christian instinct was to turn to Mary. Because when you see that Mary wasn't just like a nice little vessel so God can come and kind of live inside her for a little week, just like if we set up a tent for God. Okay, God, you can live inside the tent at the Mount of Sinai. Mary, it's more profound than that. Mary is like the tent of meeting. She is like a temple. She is like the Ark of the Covenant, but it's even greater than that because she really was Jesus's mother. She wasn't just a hotel for Jesus for nine months, a hotel for the Son of God to dwell in. The Son of God took on human flesh, the flesh of Mary. That's real. That is profound. That is not just like, again, Jesus is dwelling within her. Yeah, he is. But, but he actually took on her flesh, emphasizing he really became one of us. He really had a mom. Uh, and this is why the early Christian instinct was to turn to Mary, not for her own sake. Mary wouldn't want all that attention for her own sake. But it helps us appreciate the profound mystery of Jesus better, doesn't it? That our God loves us so much, he became one of us. He even had his own mom. And so this and many other churches around the world uh, have been dedicated to Mary. This is the principal one. But it, it, seeing the crib in the middle of the of St. Mary Majors, again, helps us to see Mary as the mother of God, which was something that happened in 431 AD as the church, the early Christians were contemplating this mystery. There was sometimes some debates. There'd be some Christians that thought Jesus really wasn't human, that he really didn't take on human flesh, that he didn't really have a mom, that Mary was just the, the mother of, of, of Jesus, but not the mother of Christ, as if there were like kind of two persons. That was just weird, but that's what some of the things that the people were trying to sort out the profound mystery of God becoming man. There was a great gathering of bishops called the, the Council of Chalcedon that took place in the year, I'm sorry, it's the Council of Ephesus, the Council of Ephesus that took place in the year 431 AD. 
And it was there that the church affirmed the title that many people had already used, that no, Mary really is the mother of God. Jesus, is Jesus God? Yes. Is Mary the mother of Jesus? Yes. So is Mary the mother of God? Yes. That doesn't mean that Mary existed before God and gave birth to God, you know, before the beginning of creation, but it, it, it's highlighting, it's not, again, not to focus on Mary, it's to focus on that who Jesus is. Jesus really is God. He's not just another religious leader. He's not just another prophet. This is the Lord of history. This is the divine son of God. And so the church celebrated the idea that Mary is the mother of God. And in that title, you get both aspects of the mystery of Christ. Yes, Jesus is really God. And yes, Jesus is really human. He had a mom. Do you see how this works? So this is all that you get to experience when you just walk into the church. So many people come into this church and they just kind of go around. They see some nice little statues. Oh, this is nice. And they might notice the crib and they see a little sign about that. But they really miss out on all the beautiful architecture, how the, how the architecture, the pictures, the frescoes, the columns are telling us a story. That the Catholic intuition is to use the beauty of art to help catechize, to help evangelize, to tell the story of our faith. So are you ready to walk in to this amazing church? And as we're going to go in and we're going to go see the tomb, or I'm sorry, the, the crypt where we have the crib of Christ, we're also going to come and encounter one more apostle. Are you ready for this? There's another apostle. We've already seen three apostles here in Rome, and we're going to see more in the next couple of days. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen Peter and Simon and Jude in St. Peter's Basilica there earlier yesterday. Today we're going to have a relic of another apostle, but I want you to guess. If you had to pick one apostle that would be here... John. Given what we've talked about and what the architecture of this church is all highlighting here with the 42 columns, which apostle do you think has a relic here? Matthew. St. Matthew. So in the main altar, you have a relic of St. Matthew there. Uh, and you also, there's another, you're actually going to get a second apostle. Are you okay with that? One more apostle that's here. This is uh, Saint Matthias is also here as well, and many other saints. But I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, as we go in, I'll, we're gonna go around. We're, I'm gonna help you understand a lot of the art that's inside here. We're gonna go in and, and we'll pray, and I'll introduce you to the many, many saints that are inside this amazing basilica. But to get us ready, I think we need to pray, don't we? All right, so we're going to pray, and then all the listeners who maybe listen on the podcast, they can pray with us. And I pray that you all get to come to St. Mary Majors as well someday and come and enter into the story of salvation history and the mystery of Christ better. But let's ask Mary to pray for us as we say, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Snow, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want to learn more about my pilgrimages to Rome, check out my website, edwardsree.com. I'm announcing my new pilgrimage to Rome for May 2020. We're departing May 17th, returning May 25th. It's a wonderful pilgrimage through the major churches and basilicas, including this great basilica of St. Mary Majors in Rome. You can check it out on my website, edwardsree.com. If you have any questions about the Blessed Virgin Mary, questions about Mary in the Bible, questions about Marian doctrine, once again, check out my website. I've got many 
free articles, many free videos. I also have a number of books that I've written on this topic. You can check that out as well. I'll be praying for you through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary here this week. Please pray for me and my family. Send me any questions on my website, edwardsvee.com, or through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. God bless. Thank you.